Hello, my name is Sarah and I am your chakra coach. On this podcast, we'll be exploring how the chakra system can help guide you to grow your emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual wellness, leading you closer to your highest self. Hello, welcome back. I'm so excited you're here today because we are talking about one of my favorite topics, or I guess a collection of my favorite topics. I love to imagine new ways for the world to be, to envision ways that we can make the world work better for everyone, not just a few people at the top or who look a certain way or a certain race or gender or type or socioeconomic status. I love to think about how we can imagine that world and then put those ideas into action to create that world so we can live in it. I love it. And I had the great pleasure of talking to Laura Hartley about all of those things in this interview. Laura is an activist, a coach, and she is the founder of Public Love Enterprises. It's a liberatory space and an online school. She sees self-work and world work as interconnected, kind of like we talk about on this podcast a lot. And, and through her coaching and through her group programs, she empowers change makers, that's you, to get free, dismantle capitalism, dismantle patriarchy from the inside out, how to get power to make real change, and to find what's yours to do in this time. Laura hails from Sydney, Australia. She currently lives in Toronto, Canada, and she has some really concrete ideas about what to look for in our environments and in ourselves to identify places that capitalistic ideology and patriarchy are harming us and how we might be engaging with those systems in ways we don't even realize. And if you listen to this show regularly, you probably know that I struggle with feeling like I'm not productive enough, which is never. I've really had to do some work on myself over the past few years. And this conversation with Laura was so helpful to me on my personal journey. I really hope that it is helpful on yours as well. All her links are in the show notes, including all her free resources. And remember to follow both Laura and me on social media. Of course, all of that is linked in the show notes as well. Okay, on to the interview. Hello, Laura. Thank you so much for being here. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited for this. I'm very excited about this too. I'm so interested in what we're about to sort of deep dive into. Um, it's something that I've I've been doing my internal work on for several years, and it's really changed a lot of how I approach life and how I do things. And so Hey, listeners, in case you didn't know, today we're talking about internalized capitalism and internalized patriarchy, which is a lot of syllables for a, a topic that can be complex, but I don't think it's as complex as we, we think it is. So if, Laura, you wouldn't mind just starting, let's start with anti-capitalism, internalized anti-capitalism, what, or internalized capitalism, what does that mean? What, what is that? Oh, gosh. I mean, I love this question. It's like my favorite topic. So internalized capitalism is the equation of our worth with our productivity or with what we produce. 
So it's the, the elements of capitalism that say that we always need to be doing more, being more, having more, that keeps us on the endless cycle of giving more than we actually have to give. Now, there's a lot of different ways this shows up in our lives. Like a couple of examples would be, you know, going into work sick is a really easy one. I think we've all done it. Or working from home sick even, you know. Uh, you know, saying yes when we want to say no, that feeling of time scarcity, that there's never enough time. And like, you hear this all over our language, like, ah, how was your weekend? Oh, it was good, but you know, it wasn't long enough or got a lot to fit into this meeting today. We're just going to power through. We're just going to like squeeze a little bit more in. So all of these experiences that there's not enough time, there's that I'm not enough, that I need to be doing more, giving more, being more, having more are examples of internalized capitalism. That, that is the clearest breakdown of it that I've ever heard. It is literally what we talk about in so many ways. And I don't know that even with all of the thought I've been doing and putting into it that I've thought, oh my gosh, that is just sort of like a capitalistic societal pressure that I've, I've put on myself and made part of my identity. I always hear people say, how was your day? Oh, it was great. I was so productive. <laughs> you know? but I want, oh, I'm so busy at the moment, but yeah, life is good. But I know exactly. I, I really want somebody to ask me, oh, how was your day? And I'll be like, I sat on the couch all day, did not get one thing done. But then that still to me feels like I'm I have to still justify it, right? And then somebody will say, oh, it's okay to rest once in a while, right? Oh, it's good. Yeah. It's good to have a day like that. And I'm just like, oh gosh, but that's still us fighting against those external pressures. Would you say that's right? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Like that's the whole thing about this, right? So another form of internalized capitalism is when we, one, feel guilty when we rest, you know, that sense of, oh God, I was so lazy, you know, lazy is a oh. myth. You either desire to do something or you don't. You either have capacity, capacity to do something or you don't. Lazy is just a judgment we put on things. Or also we're resting in order to be more productive. So we're saying, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to take today off so then I can get even more done the next day. So it's not about rest for rest sake. It's not about pleasure for pleasure's sake. It's all about how much we're doing and are we doing enough? I think we need a whole podcast called Lazy is a Myth. You need to write a book. Lazy is a myth. That would be the most help. I wish I could go back and give that to my teenage self. Lazy is a myth. Yes. My God, me too. You know, and, and to me now, right? This is a constant practice because I think we're so conditioned in this that we see it, that there's all the subtle ways that we don't even notice that it uh, creeps into our life, that we're kind of judging ourselves for, for just kind of being human, for just being like every other animal in nature and enjoying our lives. Yeah. When we talk about that in, in chakra work, a lot of people come to, you know, come to work with me feeling like I, I am not enough. For some reason, I'm not enough. And I, and I think that's a lot of what's happening is that we, we don't think we're enough because of these sort of ideas we have about what enough looks like. And I don't, I don't know that there are a lot of people wandering around going like, I'm actually at peak productivity and I have no interest in being any more productive. So, okay, thank you for that definition and for that little exploration. And then on sort of a parallel path, what is internalized patriarchy? Oh gosh, I mean, just to kind of answer what you were saying there for a moment as well, this sense of I am not enough, like that is the epitome of internalized capitalism and patriarchy. So we live within two systems in the world, capitalist patriarchal structures. And if we're looking at the dominant message of what they actually say, one of them is scarcity, 
capitalism that says, you know, you can't have enough, you haven't done enough, all of that is embedded into the system. But the message within patriarchy is also that you are not enough and you are not as good as me. It is a system based on domination, a system based on hierarchy. And of course, it values the masculine and anything associated with the masculine, which includes independence, hyperproductivity, um, you know, the kind of macho, strong, we've got to be fierce, we've got to be powerful over women, other genders, and anything deemed to be feminine, whether that is generosity, abundance, sharing, ease, connection, intuition. So it's this whole hierarchical system. Now, internalized patriarchy is when we take that domination paradigm, we take that message of society that says that men and the masculine are somehow superior and better than anything deemed to be associated with femininity, and we internalize that. And we start shaming ourselves for all of these uh, experiences within us that we go, we, we kind of soft shame ourselves. So we, we soft shame a sense of ease because, you know, you've got to work harder, you've got to do more. We soft shame a sense of, um, you know, we say lean in, but we don't say take up space. There's another great example. You know, the perfectionism that so many of us experience, which I am often call myself a recovering perfectionist, is a product of patriarchy. Because although we need to look inward, we benefit from looking inward at all of these things within us, we also need to look outward to what are the marketing, what is the messaging, what is the advertising of culture and of this dominant paradigm that tells us in some way we're not enough. So it's a little bit of a complicated definition, but it's the soft shaming we give to ourselves that says we are not enough because the system we live in does not value women, other genders, or anything associated with femininity to the degree that it does men and masculinity. It's it's like when we as women or, or other genders, as you say, go into these corporations and we go into these, into our jobs, and we think we need to change ourselves to fit the structure, the existing structure. And so we start to force these traits that are, you know, are part of us. Like we're all of these traits, all of these characteristics, humans have access to all of them to whatever degree makes them, you know, comfortable and yeah. happy instead of, and we, so we change ourselves instead of looking at the system and saying, maybe, maybe that's the problem, right? Maybe the outside is the problem. Um, you know, maybe, maybe we need a different system, a different way of doing things. Yeah, you know, I think we we think it's incredibly normal in our culture to be burnt out and stressed. We think that's just part of being an adult, part of life. We think it's normal to think that you're not enough, to think that you're just never quite doing enough. We think that, um, you know, this kind of, you know, you only need to look at the amount of diet culture that exists in the world that says that women always need to be controlling what they eat, monitoring what they eat, that you are a problem to be solved. And this is the... The dominant message of culture says that culture is not the problem. The system's not the problem. You are. You are the problem and you need to do something about that. Now, as individuals, I think we have agency. We have power. We benefit from things like therapy and, you know, any sort of internal medicine that we can do. But we also need to look outward and say, you know what? The whole conditions of our culture are wrong. The system is wrong. It's not just us. We are not the problem. It's the entire world we live in. So we need to do our internal work so that we can wake up to these these messages that we've absorbed and internalized and then make change in the world then. Yeah. So one of the 
great examples I like to give is, you know, just of a plant, right? If you have a plant in your garden that isn't growing, nobody looks at that plant and just gives it like this pep talk of like, you know, like, hey, have you just like considered being a little bit more like the broccoli like nearby? Like that one's growing fine. What's wrong with you? We don't like yell at it and tell it to go like, just, just toughen up, just grow a little bit faster, a little bit better, just deal with it. You know, we look to the conditions that the plant has. We look to the soil, to the sunlight, to the nutrients, to the rain. We don't blame the plant. And it is the same with us. You know, we need to stop blaming ourselves for all of our problems, all of our struggles, for the fact that life is challenging and start looking to the environment that we live in and the conditions we have that allow us to thrive. Okay, Laura, but how do we stop blaming ourselves when we've, you know, spent decades in sort of immersed in that? How do we, how do we stop? Oh, you know, I think it's a practice. You know, I think this is the first step actually is really looking outward and kind of naming the system. It's saying it's recognizing those links between, oh yeah, okay, you're right. I don't know what a sense of satiety or enoughness feels like. You know, I don't know what enoughness feels like when I'm eating. Diet culture is a great example of that. I don't know what enoughness feels like in uh, in my body in a sense of I am enough or I am good enough in my sense of time that I feel like there's enough time. And so we can see all these problems in ourselves. Look outward. Where does that come from? Where in our culture are we ever told to experience the sense of enoughness? Where are we ever taught to do that? Even throughout our schooling and education, we're constantly taught you need to try a bit harder, you need to do a bit better, you need to get into another class. Our cultural story says, get the right job, go to the right university, do the right degree, meet the right person, take the next step, get the promotion. You'll be happy when you buy the next thing, buy the next thing. So if we can start to look outwards, we can start to see that it's not ours and we can start to actually, in our minds, in our words, hand it back. Have you ever met anybody that got the next thing and was actually happy long-term? They were like, that's great. Done. Did it. Happy now. Cause I feel like long I time, no. I feel no. like I haven't, like there's a moment of, of joy, but you think about like Olympic athletes say that they're like, I won gold and it was exciting for about a week. Yeah. And then, and then I, I woke up to... one day and then, yeah. Yeah. And nothing had changed. You were still an Olympic gold medalist, but if you felt that you weren't enough when you won it, it, the winning the medal did not make you feel like enough. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I feel like that happens a lot. And I know I'm certainly, I know I'm certainly guilty of that. Maybe we all are. Maybe, maybe that's soft shaming, Laura. Am I soft shaming myself by saying, oh yeah, I do that too. Oh, I really shouldn't do that. Is that soft shaming? Well, the, I shouldn't do that is like a little bit of soft shaming, right? So like the acknowledgement, oh, I do that. That's just acknowledgement. That's just awareness. That's the first step. We need that. The more we can recognize these uh, systems and these ideals playing out in us, that's a good thing because then we can start to make change. But like the, oh God, I shouldn't do that. It's like, you know, another example of internalized capitalism is when self-work, and I use the term self-work to mean therapy, meditation, plant medicine, any sort of journey that helps us go within, becomes not about getting to know ourselves, not about uh, transforming ourselves, not about loving ourselves, but about fixing ourselves, about you need to just always be growing, always be doing better, just always on that upward growth journey, you know? And it's it's a very subtle distinction between the two, but the energy is very distinct. And so whenever we're using that, like, oh, I need to be better, it's self-shaming. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. What are the things we get? So let's say that I become fully aware of my internalized capitalism and my internalized patriarchy. I'm aware and I start looking at the systems around me. First of all, tell me what the the problems are with the systems around me. Okay. So capitalism is both an economic system, but it is also an ideology. It's also a belief system. You know, every system in the world has a set of beliefs, a set of values, and a mindset that uphold that system. Now, fundamentally, capitalism has kind of three major problems with it. You know, the first is the pursuit of infinite growth on a finite planet. You know, capitalism is obsessed with growth. It defines success as growth. And I think it was Edward Abbey who said growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the tumor. And so we need to look at what does growth mean? Growth is not the same thing as well-being. Growth is not the same thing as thriving. It's, It's just growth. The second problem with capitalism is the artificial production of scarcity. Scarcity is embedded into the system. You can't have infinite growth without scarcity to drive the growth. And you see this in marketing that says, got to buy now or you're going to miss out. You know, there's two seats left at this price. Or you even see it in planned obsolescence. So like our devices, our refrigerators, our appliances, they're all designed to break. These things could last so much longer than they do. But if they break, we need to buy more. And the third problem with capitalism is, you know, the devaluation of beautiful, living, complex systems like jungles and forests and oceans and all these spaces that I love to lifeless resources. You know, they only have value if we can extract something from them. And that might be timber, that might be tourism, but it's only in relation to our use. So we see those three kind of pillars there of infinite growth, scarcity, not enoughness to drive the growth, and then devaluing our beautiful living complex systems. That is the problem with capitalism. And then how that plays out in ourselves is a different story. But I also think that's exactly what we were just saying. We expect from ourselves infinite growth. We expect from ourselves um not that we aren't enough can't have enough don't don't produce enough and also we are only valuable as humans insofar as what we can produce or have extracted from us because that's how i feel like a lot of companies treat their employees as resources from which to extract something and so and how we treat our attention and our creativity, right? We treat our attention, and our energy as if they should always be there on demand 24 seven, whenever we want to use them. And one of the best definitions I've ever heard of burnout was borrowing from tomorrow's energy to use today and doing that enough times that eventually you get to tomorrow and it's not there because our energy needs renewal. Our body is a beautiful, complex living system and we are completely devaluing 
you know, what it is that our body needs, what it is that our soul needs in order to like, just keep extracting from ourselves so we can just keep producing. And so if we recognize these three pillars as, as being problematic, both as an external ideology and how they affect us internally, where do we start to make those changes? How, where do we even start? I feel like I get to that point and I'm just like, I don't even know what to do now. You know, and people will say, well, no matter what you think about it, you live in a capitalist society. I'm like, that's not helpful. <laughs> and also yes. you just told me that my opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so true. And like, here's the thing, we do live in a capitalist society, but I believe the first step to really changing these kind of toxic elements of capitalism really starts with us. It's not up to the economists, it's not up to the politicians, it's up to us. And that both benefits our own lives, you know, our own sense of well-being and thriving, and it benefits the world. So the first thing that I would suggest is really it's about reconnecting to the body. So we live as a culture, most of us, very neck up. We're completely in our heads a lot of the time. And, you know, it took me decades to learn this. I remember being in a therapy session and having a therapist trying to connect me with my body. And I was like, I just, you know, I'm like, my emotions were so head-based. I was shocked to discover that like, oh my God, my anxiety, I feel it in my belly, in my chest. What is this? It's like a whole new world opened up to me. Mm -hmm. But reconnecting to the body is about reconnecting to a new compass, right? Because our body, for the most part, and I'll put a disclaimer here for anybody who's experienced trauma, that it's not always true. But for most of us, it speaks the truth of our capacity and the truth of our desires. So our mind and our thoughts will be full of all of these, what I call shoulds, you know, I don't want to do this, but I should, you know, I, I hate going to this job, but I should do it. You know, I shouldn't change. It's too late. All whatever we say is a should. These are all shoulds are cultural expectations and cultural stories. They're not based in our what we want to do. They're not based in what we're called to do. They're just based in what we think that we're supposed to do. So connecting to the body is about learning to read the sensations, learning to read the feelings, to get a, a greater guide as to what is true for us and what we really want to do in this moment. So it's reorienting our compass in a way. Okay. And then how do I start dismantling the patriarchy and capitalism? <laughs> okay. How do I take it apart with like Lego bricks and then build something back up that actually is designed to work for everybody as opposed to work for a few people at the top? Yeah. My, okay. My gosh, I love this. So again, I think it also starts with the body, but it starts with the ending of the shaming of ourselves. You know, patriarchy is built on shame like whenever you're looking at like how does patriarchy use power it does it through shame and you see that in meeting rooms when have you ever been in a meeting room or like you know and there's some guy who's usually in charge who either talks over somebody particularly women they don't do this to men anywhere near as much um or just kind of it doesn't really take the idea from a woman or it doesn't really listen you know we can see that okay we've like shamed somebody a little bit because I'm not going to listen to you you're not important your thoughts don't matter as much as mine okay that's soft that's subtle shaming but it's shaming and it used that to keep power within themselves to keep power in the patriarchy you see it in magazines when it you know shames women for their body size or for spending too much or you know, that women, you know, <laughs> need to take better, you, you can have it all, like, but you know, if you're struggling, like, you know, why are you struggling? You can have it all. It's a subtle shaming of women, again, in magazines all the time. All of this shaming is propping up the patriarchy. 
So when we can see that, we need to realize that our job is in ending the shaming of ourselves. And most of us don't even realize how much we shame ourselves. Every time we say, I'm not good enough, I couldn't do that, or, oh God, I was so lazy. Oh God, I'm, I'm so fat. Oh God, I, I haven't done this. So it starts there. Because if we can't learn to stop shaming ourselves, to own our own power, then it's very hard to start giving that to other people. It's very hard to start sharing power. It's very hard to really stand up to those toxic power systems if we haven't learned to stop the shaming of ourselves. Uh, yeah, I think that that's true. Very difficult to move from a shaky foundation. Right? Very difficult to act from act from a place that isn't like truly authentic to you yet. Not that you can't be working towards it and also be acting in the world, but you know, it's, it is a challenge. One thing I had to do as I was doing some of this work on myself was also just recalibrate what I need in the world, right? Without, you know, how much do I need? What do I need? Do I need to buy this? Do I need, what What do I hope this will do for me? What do I hope this purchase will will do? the feeling will it generate? And then really think, will buying a new outfit, a new car, a new couch, whatever, will that generate the feeling of, of contentedness and authenticity that I'm, that I'm actually looking for? Is that the hole that I'm trying to fill? And I know like retail therapy is like a, a fun little joke thing, but for me, I really did want to recalibrate that. What do I need? And that was sort of one of my first steps into stepping away from participating in capitalism in ways that I didn't need to participate was by sort yeah. of reducing my consumption on things that were not generating the feelings that I wanted and then reorienting myself toward the things that were like what actually where where can I spend my money that does make me feel good that does create a sense of happiness, maybe not from the item itself, but from supporting a locally owned business or um, a, a woman that I know in her adventures or whatever. So I think what other some what are some other ways that we can like work in our day-to-day -day lives to step out of capitalism, step out of, of patriarchy? You know, I love that example. And I, I, you know, because I think it's so important, this whole thing is about reorienting to a compass that feels good. And to do that, I think you need to feel the body first, because that's where we're kind of getting the truth. And to give you an example of what I mean by that, you know, I, a few years ago, I had some friends who did a call out for some help with like letterboxing for a new community initiative that they were starting. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I can help. No worries. And you know, before long, I was, you know, I was thinking I could do it after work one evening. And then I realized that is not at all what I signed up for. It was like this whole thing. It had like a four hour shifts and buddy systems. And it wasn't even like letterboxing. It was door knocking. And I was just like, oh, hell no, this is not for me. You're right. <laughs> and everything in my mind was saying, you should do this. You know, you said you would, so you should, you should honor your word. You care about your friends. You care about this movement. You absolutely should start. You just help them just do it. You can move this meeting and join. And of course, every time I did this, my body felt heavy. It mm. felt closed. It felt weighed down. My shoulders were tight. And I decided to just ask myself, okay, what would the most liberatory thought here be? What if I, what if I really asked myself and just said, I don't want to do this? What if I said, I'm really sorry, this isn't what I signed up for. I can't help at the moment. I can recommend these people, but I don't have capacity. And I felt a liberation in my body. I felt 
lightness. I felt ease. I felt my shoulders come down. I felt the tension drop away. And so that for me was like, oh, okay, my body is the compass, right? It tells me what feels good. And it's the same with those decisions that you were talking about with purchasing that, you know, how can I start to make decisions that actually feels good? We have to ask ourselves, what does this feel in my body? What, what am I looking to feel? What am I seeking in this moment? And the more we can do that, and the more we can start to make decisions with what actually feels good, we can start to dismantle these systems. Now, I will say here, good is not comfortable. These decisions, a lot of the time, are deeply uncomfortable because they go against everything that we have been conditioned to believe that we should do. They go against the conditioning of our family, of our religion, of culture. You know, sometimes these are going to be really small things, just like that example that I gave of the letterboxing. But sometimes these are going to be big decisions. Like, you know what? I hate my job in this whole career path and this is not what I want to be doing, you know, or, you know what? I'm not happy in this relationship anymore and I want a big change. And so this, those are not comfortable decisions, but they are looking at what feels good. And so getting that baseline, I think is just such an important step that we can start to have. What do you recommend as a, as a way to start getting in touch with our bodies? I mean, I think everyone's a bit different for me. I think meditation is a wonderful practice, you know, particularly like anything that really helps us just notice the sensations and to stay with sensations that are uncomfortable is a really powerful practice, but also dance has been one of my best things. Like I, I love salsa dancing and bachata and any sort of Latin dance. And it just takes me out of my head and into my body. And these practices of putting myself into my body regularly mean that I have the capacity in certain moments to stop and to pause and go, okay, what am I actually feeling? Okay, I've got tension there. Oh, is there a color? Is there a shape? Just asking these questions and playing with it because our mind is very powerful. You know, we can just imagine these things and usually have a bodily response. And so learning that as a practice and just getting used to it, I think is really what it's about. Yeah, I, I, okay, that makes sense. I also think what you were saying about dance really hit home for me, movement of any kind. And I don't, when I say movement, I definitely don't mean exercise. I literally mean <laughs> moving, like using your Walking. body to walk or stand up or, you know, anything at light stretching, anything at all that gets you connected to, oh, when I do this, I feel this. Right? I used like, to love yin yoga for this reason. So like yin, you hold the poses for like, you know, up to five minutes. And I would find whenever I would hold those poses, I would have these emotions come up at that time. And I like my hips, oh my gosh, the anger I stored in my hips, yeah. it was just like, oh, like, and so like any sort of practice like that, or even like hiking, my girlfriend got me really into hiking. I was never a hiker, um, you know, <laughs> but I found like the more I get out there and the longer I kind of walk, the more clarity I get, the more kind of in my body I get, just the more I drop out of all of this space of the neck up and the more I just go, oh yeah, this is what I'm feeling. Oh, okay. I feel at home here. And mm -hmm. that I think is just such a lifelong practice in a world that teaches us to be disconnected. And I, I honestly think we could not be connect all of us connected to our bodies, deeply embodied and have the level of climate crisis that we have today and have the environmental crisis that we have today. The two are connected. I agree with you. What do you say to people who, like they say, oh, you live in a capitalist society, you have to continue acting in it. That's just the way it's always been. You live in the patriarchy, that's the way it's always been. 
you know, that is the the natural order of things. How how did what's your response to that? Has I have a response to that, but I'd love to hear yours. Oh my gosh. Okay. So usually a few things like one, it's not the natural order of things. And it's not the only way it's been. Capitalism's only been around like 500 years or so. Like oh, business, I think money. even less the way we, we do it now. Yeah. yeah like oh, neoliberal yeah. years tops. Max, really, even in the last 70 years, you've seen this transformation of capitalism, that it is not the same thing that they were writing about 100, 200 years ago. Yes. So it's not just the way things are. Things have been designed this way. And second of all, that whenever we say, oh, this is just the way things are, what can I do? Power structures benefit from that response. Like there is very much, there's power systems in the world today that very much enjoy the world as it is. And they benefit from the world as it is, even though most of us do not, because I think most of us are not happy. We're burnt out, we're exhausted, and there's huge environmental crisis around us. But they benefit from us saying, this is just the way the world is. Because what happens when you say that? Nothing. You do nothing, nothing changes. So we need to realize that that's actually a false statement that we have been conditioned to believe because it does nothing to disrupt the status quo. So we can say this isn't just the way the world has been. This isn't the way the world has to be because we all co-create the world. We can all make something better, okay? We all have choices. And people benefit from us thinking that we're powerless. We can start to really reimagine something new. Yes, that is frequently my response. I'm like, well, these are just ideas that somebody else had that are now like living in the world. So if we have new ideas, we can put our new ideas and create something new in the world because that's the way it's always been done is one of my least favorite phrases in the whole world. Just like, well, I don't want to do it that way. Um, I don't know. My mother oh God, always me said I was so contrary. <laughs> She's like, you could just, you're just never happy with anything. And I was like, well, that, yep, that's on brand. Um, <laughs> Mine said the same thing. I was always like so argumentative and contrary. Like it was the exact words. But um, <laughs> I think Adrienne Marie Brown has a beautiful quote. She says, you know, that basically we live in a world shaped by other people's imagination. Okay. And like, we don't, we don't all have necessarily the power to change the big halls of politics or an entire massive global culture, but we do all exist in microcultures, you know, the cultures of our organizations, of our families, of our communities, of our faith groups. These are all things that we co-create there, that we're a part of, and that we can have direct influence in shifting if we want to. So I, th I think reclaiming that sense of agency, particularly at the small level and at the grassroots level, is really one, about where change will come from, and two, a genuine real response that we can all do something. You you talk about an interesting concept, which is finding what's yours to do in the world. And I, I feel like we've kind of segued into that, finding what's yours, how to find, and is is what your what's yours those small things at the grassroots? Can you just, can you elaborate on that that concept that you talk about? Yeah, so I think, you know, a lot of us, when we're thinking about change in the world, you know, it's it's easy to get caught up in everything that needs to be done, right? Because the problems are so big and we can see so many areas that need help that we want to help it all. And so we sign up to everything and we try to go into everything or we do the opposite and go powerless and say, but I can't do anything. And really what this is about is about finding what is ours to do because it's not our job to do everything, but we can find what is ours. Now, I think that's about really looking at our callings, about what's true for us. I think this has a spiritual element to it, a sense of kind of vocation that we can look at. But it's about understanding that there is a, per like, I think every one of us has a calling. 
Every one of us has something we can offer to this time, really believing that and then going deep into finding out what that might be. And is the first step then, well, getting in touch with your body, because I think that's going to be a huge step for everything, a, um, a meditation practice, journaling, or just experimenting with a variety of things until you find something that helps you. What are your ideas? Huh, I mean, I think there's a few different spaces to work with. The body is definitely one of them. I also think, you know, looking at our callings and callings are just those little voices that all of us have that say, yeah, you know that thing that you haven't done for like 20 years, but you keep thinking about doing and, you know, like that, that, that is a calling, that little voice in the back of your head. We should always listen to it. And we know that we all say it. We all say we should listen to it, but we don't and we should. But I also think when we are multi-passionate people and we care about lots of things and we love doing lots of things, a more powerful space to look than what we love, which is the traditional advice, can also be to look at what breaks our heart. What really, what makes us mad in the world? What do we look at and that, you know, we say, you know what, that should not exist. That should not happen. What is it that gives you some sort of emotional response? Because our emotions are almost always the compass right? They're always telling us what matters. Anger is a wonderful call to action as an emotion. It's always an informatory emotion. So whenever we're kind of feeling that, and whenever we're feeling like, you know what, this, this matters, that's the space. And then what we do there, that varies. But understanding that it can be an entry point is a powerful path. And I think anger is one of those emotions that the patriarchy uses to control women by telling them, nope, you are not to be angry. You uh, because they know if you get angry, you might do something. And so they're like, oh, no, no, you don't feel, don't be angry. That's not ladylike or whatever. Yeah, the or you're too is. bossy. You're too bossy. Yeah. Absolutely. You can't stay small. Um, and yeah. so it is, it's a very good, it's a good tool to, um, it's a good tool to oppress because it stops change, but when you can tap into it, and that's a good way of, of thinking about it is where do I look out into the world and say that absolutely is unacceptable to me. And, and this can be there. something really small, right? This can be something in our community. It can be like, I don't know, a block of a new block of units going up where there could have been a community garden or, you know, it could be like something happening in our workplace that we're like, you know what, that's really not fair the way like that keeps happening. And that's something that makes us go like have that response. So anger is a beautiful emotion that we as women do not value enough because we have never been taught how to work with it. We have never been taught that it is a guide that it's giving us information, that it's okay to feel, that there's nothing to be ashamed of with feeling it, okay? Because again, we shame ourselves because like, oh, I'm so angry all the time. Or, you know, <laughs> I just have this rage that I just keep like tampening down because if I let it out, it'll be too big, you know? So learning to work with that and to understand anger is telling us something. It is mm -hmm. a call to action. It tells us our boundaries have been crossed. It tells us what we love. It tells us what matters to us. It tells us that we're hurt then it that's it's such a space of wisdom i think we don't have to be afraid of our anger other people should be afraid of our anger <laughs> what, yes. what might change in the world <laughs> um but it's 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 easier if we if we're taught to fear our anger and to, uh, to you know, fear and, our and emotions men, in general and men to fear their vulnerability and men to feel yeah. like genuine other emotions that aren't anger because they too are victims of the patriarchy right it's not, not like absolutely I don't think anybody thrives in a patriarchal society, 
you know, you see huge rates of depression in men, huge rates of loneliness. You know, the, I, there was something I was reading recently that talked about, you know, basically, you know, men forming a lot of their strong relationships with women because, again, they don't talk openly about what they're feeling with their male friends. So we have this, like, disconnection from themselves, from their heart, from what really matters. And what they are taught they can feel is rage. Rage is safe. Rage is manly. Rage is force. And uh, that's really about it, <laughs> you know? Right. You know, yeah. and you, you can be okay, you can be strong, and you can be mad. That's about it. And women, you can be soft, you can be quiet, you can be perfect. You can worry that you're not good enough, that you're not thin enough, that you're, you know, just, they just got to try and do a little bit better and learn a little bit more because you're not quite ready yet and you're not quite there yet. And if we just keep these ideas in place, the world will stay as it is. Which is fine if you don't mind the world staying as it is, but I feel like a lot of people are looking for these kinds of changes and these are sort of um, practical ways that we can start approaching it you know and realizing that you can be a part of you know I always joke about dismantling the patriarchy but you can be a small part of it even if it's just speaking up in a meeting and saying oh I would like to hear more about Laura's idea right Laura you said earlier xyz and I'd love to hear more about that I think using where you have small power in your community also to open the open the space for other people to step into their power is a super important way that we can all work in our own spheres and that's the thing i think you know we that's a beautiful example of shared power right there so we have this idea in our society that power always means power over, that it means domination, that it's control. And that's actually a really weak form of power because it's always compliant on the other person doing what you want them to do. And it's also the most common. It's like the indicative you know, power structure of patriarchy. But there are other types of power, the shared power, which is what we build together when exactly I say, you know what, I haven't heard from this person. Do you mind if like maybe you speak up? You know, we build that solidarity together. There is embodied power, the power that I, when I stop shaming myself, that I'm able to really know that this is who I am. This is authentic. This is true. And that place is a real place of power because that's also defiant to the power over ment mentality. You know, there's uh, the power uh, within There's So all of these different spaces that we can start to look at that reimagines our community and that gives us back our sense of agency. And I think that's just such an important place. Definitely is. And having agency and understanding your agency is one of the most important steps on a healing path. If you've experienced trauma and we've all experienced trauma living in the society that we live in, there's no way around it. But instead of feeling powerless, developing that sense of agency, which like you said, is a, a practice, right? It's going to take time. I can't, I'm not going to get off of this interview and be like, I have agency. I am in charge, right? Like I, but I'll take what we've talked about here into my next set of, you know, sort of thoughts and into my next set of actions and note when I have the opportunity to not shame myself, when I have the opportunity to share power, when I have the opportunity to make decisions for my community. Yeah. And this is the exactly, you know, we, we often think I use the term getting free for a lot of this, that we're getting free of internalized capitalism, we're getting free of internalized patriarchy. And I do think it is about getting free because 
the way I kind of describe it is essentially, I think as children, we are all connected to our authentic selves. We're all connected to like this our inner sense of knowing and the deepest parts of ourselves. But usually somewhere along the way, somebody tells us, you can't do that. Or who are you to think you can have that? Or it's just something that kind of just starts to pull apart these inner knowings, or you don't really want that or get that smirk off your face or whatever it might be. And what fills the gap between inner knowing when we lose that connection is all of the beliefs of the systems around us, all of the beliefs of capitalism, all of the beliefs of patriarchy, all the beliefs of supremacy culture. So I use the term getting free because I think it's about getting free from them. But getting free is not one big moment. I wish it was. I wish it was <laughs> as simple as like going down the river and bathing and I come out and I'm like, I'm free. free. <laughs> but it's the really unsexy day-to-day work of actually saying, what does liberation feel like right now? What is a liberatory decision right now? What does it feel like in my body right now? You know, really just returning to, you know, okay, what I think that, where do I, why do I think that? Where is that coming from? Where have I been taught that? Is that actually true? What do I really want in this moment? You know, what do I, what do I really need in this moment? And then coming back to that. So it's, it's very much day-to-day lifelong work that we're talking about. And you help people do that. You have courses and coaching. If if people are like, this all sounds amazing, but I have no idea what to do next. Like, I feel very inspired from this, but I, but what now? I mean, you, you, do, I do. you do help people. I mean, other than just helping me personally right now, which is my own personal session here with you. <laughs> I do. So I run an online school for change makers and I should say, I really subscribe to Joanna Macy's definition of an activist, which is anybody who is an active for a purpose bigger than personal gain. So an activist and a change maker is not always the people out on the front lines chaining themselves to trees and anything else. You know, it's also the people who are just trying to do something better for their communities, for their families, um, for the people around them. Now, I run programs in cultural wayfinding, which is really kind of what we're talking about today. How do we wayfind away from the toxic elements of culture and into something more just, more regenerative, more fulfilling? I also have a program in healing burnout culture, and I work with people one-on-one with coaching. Where can people find more about that? You have a website. Uh, I do. Social media. What you got? Yes, my, Lay it on my website. <laughs> my website is laurahartley.com. I'm on Instagram at laura.h.hartley. And I'm also on LinkedIn if that's your space. Oh, sure. That makes a lot of sense if we're talking about, you know, changing capitalism. LinkedIn is a, <laughs> is a great place to talk about that, actually. First place you think of, right? Like yeah. anti-capitalism, like dismantling the patriarchy, like cultural check, beliefs linkedin check it out over on linkedin although i mean yeah it, it it does make sense in sort of a weird roundabout way but yes um i think there's a lot of room for that laura thank you so much for this very very insightful conversation um this is really really important work and you know it's important to note that these systems that aren't working. I don't know if they ever did, but they're certainly not working now. It's okay for us to want to to look at them with a bit of a critical eye and say, who is this helping? Who is this serving? And if it isn't you and the people that you love, if it isn't serving your children, if it isn't serving your your family and your friends, like consider doing some of this work and thinking about change and how do you fit into these systems? How are you how are you propping them up in ways you might not realize? And how can you stop? How can you step away from that propping up if if that's the choice that you make? So 
Thank you. We have never been at a time when we need people to reimagine their lives and and their work and their participation in society more than now. So I want to thank you so much for having me on the show and for having this conversation because that's what I love to see. People like really asking themselves, what matters? Why am I doing this? And how can I start to flourish and thrive? Because that's what we all deserve. <laughs>